following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. There's been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, everybody? Back with another episode of The Intentional Foul. I'm your host, Dan Saunders, flying solo today, the day after Christmas. Hope everyone had a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas. Hope Santa was good to you. If you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a happy whatever weird thing you celebrate is. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Well, a lot to talk about. I was uh, I was gonna hop on and do this uh, the other day. Kind of got sidetracked. I was gonna get get on here New uh, Christmas Eve. Got eggnog sidetracked. I was gonna hop on last night. Got sidetracked by a belly full of prime rib and some other goodies over at my parents' house. So uh, here we are couple days uh, later than usual, but still something to whet your appetite going into the weekend until uh, Josh returns, hopefully next week, and uh, we kind of do our end of the year show. So, uh, yeah, lots to get into. We got the NFL, of course. Uh, we got some Brewers stuff going on, uh, a little bit of college hoops with the Badgers and Marquette, and then uh, quite a bit of NBA talk to wrap up here today. So, um Starting the NFL, kind of a boring Sunday. Um, not a lot going on. Not a lot of great games. Um, certainly, the Sunday night game was not a great game. It was, it was a trash fire. Actually, uh, the Bears once again um, just failed to show up. Uh, you know, a little bit understandable. I mean, they they had been eliminated uh, the previous week by the Packers. Um, just just kind of thought last home game of the year, uh, Matt Nagy going up against his mentor, Andy Reid. Um, you had the uh, the Trubisky-Mahomes drama. Um, you, you would have thought the Bears would have put up a little bit better of a fight, but they didn't. Uh, failed to score a touchdown um, and lose the game 26-3 to in a game that probably wasn't even that close. So uh, not much really to say about that game. Just going to kind of move on, blow past that. Uh, that, that really... Kind of sums up the second half of the Bears season. Um, just just not a lot to get excited about. So um, move on to the Packer-Viking game Monday night. Um, I thought probably maybe the probably the best game Green Bay has played since the Dallas game and uh, might have been the best game they played all season, to be honest with you. Um, I thought that the Packers thoroughly embarrassed Minnesota at home. Um, Packer defense was, was as dominant as we've seen them in many, many weeks. They played very good football. Um, there are some reasons why I think that that was the case. We'll, we'll get into a little bit, but, um, yeah, I just thought that in, in a, in a must win scenario for both teams to kind of get a leg up on the other one, uh, the Vikings really came out flat, um, laid an egg unable to get anything going offensively. I believe they had seven first downs the entire game. Not sure that I've ever seen that before. Um, And the Packers really offensively weren't that much better, uh, but they were certainly good enough to win the game. Uh, I thought that um, Delvin Cook being out for the Vikings was a huge, huge thing. Uh, Not not because, you know, you, you sit here and think, Dalvin Cook was going to run for 150 yards and three touchdowns. But I think that, uh, you know, the the threat of him on the field changes a lot of things for the Vikings. Um, and not only was he hurt, but Madison, their backup running back, was also hurt. So you're going out there, you're trotting out your third and fourth string guys. Uh, the Packer defense knew going in 
they were going to be going up against a depleted offense uh, with no running game. They didn't really have to respect the run, which allowed them to uh, really, really get after the quarterback, um, drop a lot of guys in coverage, and really, really make it difficult on Kirk Cousins the whole game. Um, You know... uh, the Packers start off the game with a couple of, of uncharacteristic turnovers. You know, uh, they get a fumble in the first minute. Uh, but, of course, the Vikings can't turn that into a touchdown. The Packers hold them to a field goal. Uh, you get another turnover on an Aaron Rodgers, a, a bad Aaron Rodgers interception in, in Packer territory that the Vikings do turn into a touchdown. Um, but, you know, other than that, offensively, they really had nothing. I mean, the, the they only scored 10 points. They were both off those early Packer turnovers. Um, I don't know. I I, I kind of just watched this team now, and, and this is the second year of the Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota. And, you know, their their problems are a little similar to the Bears in, in that they, they have a quarterback who – you watch him week in and week out, and you see flashes of of really good play, Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber play. But when it comes to the big-time games and the big-time moments, they just can't make plays. And the Vikings' problem today is the same problem that it's been for the last two years, and it's Kirk Cousins. You know... And I know Packer fans are not very objective about this because this this eliteness, arrogance, whatever you want to call it, that the Packer fans have towards the other three teams in the North, you know, and the fact that Green Bay has had a Hall of Fame-level quarterback for the last 25 years really kind of makes it unable for them to see uh, what it's like to be a fan of, of one of these teams. Um, I can speak from experience as a Bear fan, and and I'm sure anybody that's a Viking fan can say the same thing. You know, the Bears and the Vikings, I think, pound for pound, roster for roster, up and down the line, both better than Green Bay. No question. Um, I think if you look at the skill positions, the the Vikings are certainly ahead of Green Bay there with Thielen, Diggs, Cook, and Rudolph. That's a lot better than what the Bears have. That's better than what the Lions have. That's better than what the Packers have. Um, but none of those teams have Aaron Rodgers. And even on Aaron Rodgers' off days, which he wasn't really on, I guess you would say on the other night, but he's still so much better than these other guys that he doesn't have to do as much, and the Packers can still win these games. Um Kirk Cousins now still winless, I believe, 0-9 on Monday Night Football. Uh, you know, I I've, I heard some things that, um, you know, once Minnesota declared Dalvin Cook out, they weren't really as, as, as focused on winning this game, uh, you know, because they would have had to have win, won out. The Packers would have had to have lost to Minnesota and, and then lost to the Lions in order for the Vikings to win the division and blah, 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 blah. I don't really buy any of that. I think in a Packer-Viking game in Week 16, I think they're going all out to win. I think you could tell by Mike Zimmer's um, very, very brief handshake with Matt LaFleur at the end of the game that the Vikings were trying to win. So I don't I don't buy that at all. Um, but look, you, you got to give the Packers credit. They played very well on the road. It's probably their best performance of the season, um, certainly of the last two months. And uh, they're NFC North champs. I don't know what that means going forward for them. Um, you know, they're at least guaranteed the number two seed. They have a chance with if the 49ers lose uh, Sunday night to Seattle, the Packers would get the overall number one seed in the NFC, which is just kind of wild to even think about that they could be the number one seed because, you know, I, I, I still watch this team. I've watched basically every game. I haven't watched the whole game of every game, but I pretty much watched every game all season. I'm just not seeing a Super Bowl team here. Um, I mean, you look up and down the NFC. Um, every game the Packers would play against somebody in the playoffs, Matt LaFleur is going to be the second-best coach on the field. Um, I don't know that other than Aaron Rodgers, and 
maybe Aaron Jones sometimes that they really have skill position guys that are better than most of the other teams in the playoffs. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's uh, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing with everybody else. I mean, Josh is a diehard Packer fan, and he's talked about it all year. Uh, it's it, we're, we're not sure who this team is. Um, they're they're twelve and three. We know that they're NFC North champs. We know that, um, but how good they are, I, I still don't think anybody truly knows. So, um, so we'll see. One week left to go. Still a little jockeying for position to do for the pack, and uh, got to get a little help along the way. But like I said, at, at the very least, they will have a uh, first round bye in the playoffs. Um. Just a couple things around the league. I think uh, we can pencil Lamar Jackson's uh, name on the MVP trophy. Um, 13-2. and two. They've already said they're going to sit him on uh, Sunday, so his his regular season is over. But 13-2, and two, I believe he's leading the league in passing touchdowns. He's around 1,000 yards rushing. Uh, I don't think anybody saw the Baltimore Ravens uh, having this kind of a season. And unfortunately for uh, Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson fans, they lost at home to the Cardinals last week. And uh, the Seahawks are very banged up. I get it. You know they 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 had to go off. Uh, they had to go into the street and sign uh, Marshawn Lynch this week because they had no running backs left. That kind of tells you the desperation. They're down some offensive linemen. I, I get all that, but you know you you're in a you have an opportunity to to. Uh, win your division and possibly get the number one seed in the NFC and you lose at home to a pretty bad Cardinal team, that really does a number on on Russell Wilson's MVP uh, chances. I mean, we'll see. There's still another game to go. If they beat the 49ers, um, win win the NFC West, maybe. Maybe if he has a big game. But um, I think for right now, you you got to be looking at Lamar going into the last week of the season. Uh, one thing I did find interesting came out before the Packer-Viking game. Uh, Mike McCarthy had an interview with the Carolina Panthers this week, which uh, I'm not surprised at all. I've, I've always believed that McCarthy was going to get another job in the NFL. I believed it would be quick. I was actually a little bit surprised that he didn't have a job this year. Um but it appears that he's going to certainly be in the running for quite a few of these jobs for the upcoming season. We know the Carolina job is vacant. Ron Revere has already been fired. Um, not sure what's going to happen with a couple of these other teams. You know, does Cleveland keep bring back Freddie Kitchens for another year? Um, what 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 happens in New York with the Giants? I think you're going to see McCarthy go to a team with a young quarterback or um, a team that's going to be in the market to draft a quarterback. Um, so he can he can install his system and and build these guys up kind of the way um, he did with Aaron Rodgers. I think Carolina would be an interesting place to go. I think that's a, a team with talent. Um, they got a young quarterback in Kyle Allen. I don't know if he's the future or not, but it might be something to build around. You've got a star in Christian McCaffrey. You got a pretty good defense. Um, so that's that's interesting. And you know, as much as I'm not a Packer fan and um, I have I do respect Mike McCarthy. I think the guy got a bad rap. Um, you know, uh, I think it probably was time for him to go in Green Bay. But I think you know uh, Packer fans and some of the local media putting a lot of the onus on him for the failures of the last couple of years. I think is a little bit unfair. He didn't build that roster. Um, you know, as a coach, sometimes you, you got to play the cards that are dealt to you and. You know, between injuries and, and lack of talent and depth on the roster, I think he was uh, dealt a pretty pretty bad hand. So good to see him at least kind of get back in the mix a little bit. So um, just to run through Week 16 results, just some of the games that mattered. Uh, we talked about the Packer game. Um, Cardinals beat the Seahawks 27-13. Uh, Eagles beat the Cowboys 17-9 and kind of a – unofficial NFC East championship game. It was a terrible game by two very, very mediocre teams. Um, somehow the Cowboys, even is sitting at 7-8 and eight right now and losing that game on Sunday, they, there's still a window for them to make the playoffs somehow. Uh, Raiders over the Chargers 24-17. Somehow the Raiders are still in the mix as well. Um, let's see what else we got here. The Saints uh, knocked off the Titans 
And the Ravens beat the Browns 31-15. Jets knocked the Steelers off 16-10. Rams uh, lose to the 49ers on Saturday 34-31. Patriots wrap up the AFC East by beating the Bills Saturday 24-17. And the Texans knocked off Tampa 23-20. Looking at the playoff picture here going into Week 17... Um, we've got some things that are set. Most of the teams that are in are already set. Um, a little bit of a jockeying for seeding-wise, but in the AFC, uh, locked into the number one seed is the Baltimore Ravens at 13-2. and two. Um, Right now, New England sits in the two seed at 12-3. and three. KC 11-4, and four, Houston 10-5. and five. Those are your division leaders. Now, it gets interesting. Um you know, Casey could bump up to two with a win and a New England loss. Casey could slide down to four with a loss and a Houston win. Uh, Buffalo is penciled in at the five seed, at sitting at ten and five. And for the six seed, you've got Pittsburgh and Tennessee and Oakland. Uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee both eight and seven. Oakland seven and eight. Oakland, I mean, pretty much everybody has to lose for for Oakland to have a chance to get in. Um, you know, Pittsburgh and Tennessee, both are going to have an opportunity to win. They, you know, if they win, they're, you know, if Pittsburgh wins, they're in, I believe that's how the tiebreakers fall. Tennessee is going to have an opportunity to play Houston. Um, so that's going to be a big game for them as well. NFC right now, Niners are uh, number one sitting 12 and three, uh, Packers at 12 and three in the two slot saints, 12 and three in the three slot, Philly at eight and seven; those are your division leaders. Uh, Seattle is locked in right now at the five, at eleven and four. With they do have an opportunity to jump if they can knock off the Forty ers but that remains to be seen. And then firmly into the sixth spot with no chance to move is the Vikings. Uh, Dallas sitting outside at seven and eight; um, they have to win and have a Philly loss to have a shot for the playoffs. So right now, that's kind of where where we're sitting. Um, not a lot of movement here in the last several weeks from these teams. Pretty much the same teams most of the season have been in these spots. Um, so so nothing new there. Um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an abbreviated rundown. There's not a lot of games that matter this week, but there are a few. Uh, Packers at Detroit. Um, you know, Obviously the Packers need to win that one to uh, have an opportunity to jump up to the one seed. Uh, you got the Chargers at the Chiefs. We talked about what the Chiefs can do. Um, Miami at New England, uh, New England wins. They get the two seed New Orleans at Carolina. Obviously the saints, um, could end up with the number one seed. If, uh, both the Niners and Packers were to lose, um, Washington at Dallas, obviously a must win for the Cowboys, Philly at the giants, Philly wins. They're in Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Now this is an interesting one. Like I said, Baltimore's already said they're going to sit Lamar Jackson and several of their starters, um, RG3 is their backup, so they don't really have to change the system much. Um, and this is a rivalry game. I, I don't think there's any question Baltimore would love to be able to knock the Steelers out of the playoffs. No question about it. Um, Pittsburgh now on their third-string quarterback with Hodges. They put Mason Rudolph on IR the other day, so it's kind of ride or die for them. Um, I think that is going to be a disgusting game to watch. <laughs> That's like that could be like a thirteen ten game, um, but but it certainly uh, certainly still has some meaning. Um, Tennessee at Houston, as I talked about earlier, Tennessee needs to win to have a shot, and the Niners at Seattle on Sunday night. So that wraps up the NFL portion. Um, we'll have. Uh, Full week 17 coverage and playoff previews coming at you next week once Mr. Goldberg returns. So uh, look forward to that. Get a little swig of water here. That's about 19 straight minutes of talking. Ah, There we go. All right, on to the Brewers. The musical chairs kind of continues for the crew. Had a couple signings this past week. Uh, Ryan Healy, um, an infielder they got from Seattle. 
Uh, missed a good portion of last season with a hip issue. Uh, doesn't sound like he'll probably be ready for the start of the year, but they got a, he's got some minor league options left, so it gives the Brewers a little flexibility there. Um, they have re-signed Eric Sogard, who many of you will remember from 2017. Um, had a pretty nice season for the Brewers. Um, unfortunately, the following year he could not uh, duplicate that and ended up being let go, but they brought him back on a pretty pretty reasonable deal. Uh, kind of Basically, he's taking over the Hernan Perez utility spot uh, for the crew. And then uh, Justin Smoke, a uh, left-handed hitting first baseman, they bring over from the American League. Got good power, um, not a good average on base percentage. Is is solid. Um, you know, maybe a slight upgrade from Thames. Not sure. Probably a little bit better defender. Um, but you know, again, three guys that are kind of okay. Whatever signings. Um, so we'll have to see. So, um, so I kind of laid it out for myself here. And I'll and I'll do it for you guys as well. You know who who's in right now for the Brewers? Who who did they bring back, or or who did they sign? I should say. Um, so starting pitchers, you got uh, Lindblom. They brought over from the Korean League. Sounds like they got pretty high hopes for him. We'll see. Uh, Brett Anderson, who was a left-handed starter, they signed from Oakland, and Eric Lauer, who came over from San Diego in the Davies uh, Grisham trade. At catcher, we traded a, uh, a minor leaguer for Omar Narvez, I believe is how you say it. Um, definitely a downgrade from Grandall. There's no question about it. Grandall was the best catcher, arguably, in baseball last year. So um, pretty much anybody they got was going to be a downgrade. Um, as I said, they got Smoke to uh, play first base. Sounds like you're going to see a, a, a platoon over there with him and Ryan Braun. Um, you know, when a left-handed pitcher's on the mound, I think you're going to see Braun at first base quite a bit. Um, the rest of the time, I think it'll be uh, Justin Smoke. Um, shortstop, third base, middle infield, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sogard and Ryan Healy, as I talked about, and then Luis Urias, who came over in the Davies trade, who's a pretty high-thought-about prospect. Um, I'm interested to see what happens at the shortstop position in spring training. Um, I'm not going to be too surprised if there's some kind of an open competition between Urias and Arcia. Um, and just kind of say, hey, you know, whoever whoever can grab it, it's yours. Um, I think ideally you'd probably would rather, at least in the short term, it Arcia grab that spot and, uh, and let Urias. Um, sounds like he's got a little bit of flexibility. He can play some third base. Um, not sure he can hit enough right now to warrant playing every day. Uh, not that Arcia has proven that he can, uh, but you kind of know what you have with with Arcia. Where with Urias, it's a little bit of a mystery. Um, just just a lot smaller sample size. Um, and then in the outfield, Avisil Garcia and the bringing back of Keon Broxton on a minor league deal. So. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know, that's that's ten new players. Um, I think a couple of them, most likely Healy, Broxton. Um, those guys are going to probably start the season in the minor leagues. But, um, you know, when you look at these signings individually, they do nothing for you. When you put them all together, okay, I, I can at least I can see where they're going here. I can see what the uh, what the objective was. It was to, you know, is a instead of putting all of the eggs in the basket of a Mustakas and a Grandal, let's just spread the eggs all out and and get a bunch of different dudes that can do different stuff and hope that we can kind of cobble together a similar season as to what the other two individuals did on their own. Um, I don't know. Remains to be seen if it'll work. I think you got a lot of guys that kind of do a lot of the same thing. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, with with deferrals and incentives right now, the payroll is sitting at about $111 bucks to start the year. Last year, they were at 124 when the season began. So um, a little bit of a cut in payroll. I still think they're they're going to have to do something, and they will, to address third base, um, I'm not sure a 
Urius Sogard platoon over there is is I I just don't think you can you can roll that out and, and consistently win. Um, you know I my my dad keeps trying to tell me that the Brewers are going to try to go after uh, Nolan Arenado on Colorado. Um, I, I I would be all on board. I would love it. Um, I find it kind of hard to believe. I just don't think that um, the Brewers have that kind of money and are and are willing to spend that kind of money on a guy like Arenado. Um, that is the kind of guy that could put you over the top, but um, it, it'd be a pretty ballsy move to do that. Um, I'm thinking somebody along the lines of maybe like a Todd Frazier, you know, somebody in his early to mid thirties um, that that still can give you plus defense and uh, and has a pretty good power bat as well. So. Um, we'll see what happens there. Their their former third baseman Travis Shaw signed a one year deal with uh, the Blue Jays, um, kind of on a, uh, a little bit of a show me contract. I think it was one year, about four million bucks. So um, you know, hope things work out well for Shaw. Um, seemed like a pretty good dude. Um, went through a lot when he was here. I know everybody remembers when his his I believe it was his daughter was born premature and um, had a lot of had a lot of medical issues early on. And, and fortunately for, for her and for their family, everything turned out well. But, um, yeah, you know, a guy like Shaw, I, I hope things turn out well for him. Seemed like a good guy. Seemed like a good teammate for the most part. And, um, you know, even if you didn't like him, he had two really, really good years for the Brewers um, last year notwithstanding. So um, last thing I'll hit on with the Brewers, and it's – Kind of an interesting thing. I, I've I've been told by a couple of people. I'm I'm being a little too negative, and I that I've soured on the Brewers. Um, I couldn't disagree more with that. Um, you know the the Brewer organization now, they've raised the bar a little bit. You know, you make the playoffs two years in a row. Um, as a fan, I'm sitting here going, okay, well, that's great, but I've now seen four playoff teams in the last 11 years, and we haven't got out of the National League yet. Um, I'm, I'm all about, let's, let's, let's go to the World Series. Let's spend a little bit more if we got to, let's, you know, let's be a little more risky if we, if we can, um. But being too negative, I, I don't know. Um, I'm a I'm a huge Brewer fan. I've been a Brewer fan. I'm I'm 38 years old. I've been a Brewer fan for 35 years. Um, you know, I was sitting on my dad's lap watching the '82 World Series as a little tyke. Don't remember it, but I I know he he's told me that it happened. You know, I uh, my dad and I have had a a 20 pack in the club level for basically the entirety of the existence of Miller Park. Um, I've gone to uh, multiple playoff games in every playoff run they've had, 08, 11, 17, and eight, or 18, and 19. Um, so I think I've got equity in the team. I think um, me being critical of them and questioning them, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I, I've got a friend that works for the team, and, you know, we were – chatting back and forth about it and I said listen I go the fact that I'm even worried about and talking about the Brewers in November and December that's a win that's a win for you guys because normally we're in the guts of the football season you got college football jockeying for the Bulls you've got you're you're in the heat of the the playoff run in the NFL the NBA and college basketball are just getting ramped up and the fact that we're even talking about Brewer baseball that's a good thing um, even if all the talk isn't necessarily positive, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, and like I said, you look at some of these signings individually, they don't jump off the page at you. I don't think there's one guy they've signed that I went, ooh, I really like that. Um, but when you look at them as a collection of dudes on the team, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. Um, I'm not, I'm not calling my ticket rep and, and, and telling him to start printing my playoff tickets, and I need a map of the parade route for when they win the title. Um, but a lot of things can happen between now and the end of the season. Between well, between now and the start of the season, for one, um, 
And then you've got the trade deadline. You're going to have some different rules this year with the um, the September call ups and what can and cannot happen. So there, there's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a different season. Um, so I I think we got to you know and, and myself included we got to be patient. You know David Stearns, although I'm not a huge fan of the way the Brewers do their business, um, it's worked so far to a point. It's gotten them to the playoffs, um, you know. And I and I've had people in the same vein say to me, "I don't know how you cannot be satisfied with back to back playoffs." It's it's you know hasn't happened before, and um, well, it happened in eighty one, eighty two, but that was it. Um, you know, how can you not be happy with that? How could how can you say that the end of last season wasn't fun when they went twenty and seven? Look, it was great. It was all fun. Um. That, that run in September was amazing. It was great to make the playoffs. The problem was that the other four months of the season sucked because this was a very, very difficult team to watch that was hovering around the 500 mark all year long. And um, watching the Brewers is a bit of a grind. Watching Craig Council watch the Brewers is a grind. The dude is just gritting his teeth the entire nine innings every time they show him in the dugout. That's just how this team is built. So, um, as a fan, there's going to be frustration, but, you know, I, I was told that, you know, I should appreciate this because, you know, when, when I was a kid growing up in the eighties and the nineties, how bad they were. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, but I don't really know what the hell that has to do with now. You know, it's kind of the same argument that I've heard from Badger fans over the years. I, I remember Matt LaPay and, and Mike Lucas getting upset the last time the Badgers went to the Rose Bowl. It was for the third year in a row, I believe, in like 2013 or whatever. And uh, a lot of people were just kind of like, oh, ho-hum. Um, and these guys, Lucas and LaPay, were saying, I don't know how fans can get that way. And don't you remember what it was like when Don Morton was here and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, I remember what it was like, yeah, but I'm almost 40. Anybody under the age of 30, they don't know that. Anybody under the age of 25 that's a Brewer fan, they don't they don't remember that crap. They don't remember the Ricky Bonus All-Star years or the Mark Loretta All-Star years or Dan Kolb as an All-Star, these Brewer teams that were winning 71 games. They don't remember those teams. You know, they the teams they grew up with were the Hardy Weeks Fielder teams. You know, not the Billy Joe Robodeau teams, not the not the um, Joey Meyer teams of years past. So it's all relative. I get it. It's cool to make the playoffs. Um, it's easier than it's ever been in baseball. It's just a fact. There's more teams now that make it than ever before. Um, but I'm just ready to take the next step as a Brewer fan. So that's that's kind of where where I sit with that. So we'll keep you updated on anything that goes on uh, here the rest of the winter. Um, I would expect a little bit of activity in January from the Brewers. Not much, but maybe maybe a third baseman signing. So um, if that happens, we will certainly be here to talk about it. Get into a little college hoops. Not much going on. Um, the Micah Potter watch has ended for the Badgers. He finally played his first game uh, the other day against UW-Milwaukee. Um, which, uh, surprising to nobody, was a pretty uh, pretty convincing Badger win. Struggled a little bit in the first half. I think they were only up two, but uh, ran away from, from the Panthers in the second half. Um, Trice got going, ended up with a career-high 31 points, hitting five of six from three. Um, Potter, I, I, you know, he looked all right, 12 points, uh, got to the line, hit six, uh, six of six from the stripe. Um you know, if if nothing else, one of the things they were talking about during the game, uh, if nothing else, getting Potter back, it just eases a little bit of the burden from Reavers and, and Aleem Ford. Those guys really had no backup. They were playing a ton of minutes. Uh, I think it was definitely wearing them both down because neither one of them are very physical players. So uh, getting Potter back in the mix will certainly help the Badgers. Um, but, you know, again, Kobe King goes scoreless and, and has some little – Injury. I think he rolled an ankle. It it just seems like he's one of these guys um, that's just a little bit snake bit on the injury front. You know, it's hard to get mad 
because guys, you can't control when you get hurt, but it's it's got to be it's got to be frustrating to be a Badger fan because this kid came in came in with so much hype and so much promise as kind of the next great Wisconsin recruit from Wisconsin, and uh, unfortunately, things just have not worked out well for him up to this point. Uh, maybe once he gets into the Big Ten season, um, he can right the ship a little bit. Um, and he's still got a couple of years left in the program, so it's certainly you know nowhere close to being over for him. But you know, up to this point, you know, last year was not good, um, and the first uh, third of this season has been pretty underwhelming as well. So, um, Bucky's got one game this week. It'll be at Tennessee uh, Saturday. I believe that game is at like twelve thirty. That'll be an interesting one, kind of a contrast in styles. Um, they have one more non-conference game after that, I believe, like next Monday or Tuesday against Ryder, and then they are fully into the Big Ten season. So um, getting into the meat of uh, of the basketball season here. Um, so we'll keep an eye on Bucky going forward. Marquette still sitting at 9-2. and two. Uh, They had a pretty easy week. Uh, played Grambling State at home and beat them handily by 20. Um, also had North Dakota State at home, who they handled by about 15. Kind of a clo- a little bit closer game than it should have been. Marquette had some guys getting foul trouble, allowed NDSU to hang around a little bit, but in the end, Marquette uh, won pretty handily. They also will be playing Saturday at home against Central Arkansas, and then on uh, New Year's Day, the Big East calendar will start. I believe Marquette is at Creighton that day so that that's always a that new year's day big east thing is always kind of a fun way to start off the the conference season for these teams so um bracketology i checked that i usually don't really worry about that stuff until about christmas time first of the year so this was the first time i had looked at it um badgers obviously at six and five nowhere to be found there's they're gonna have to uh really show up big time in the Big Ten season to have a have a legitimate chance to be an at-large team. And right now Marquette was see, sitting at a seven seed. So kind of kind of about where I would think they would be. Um, you know, nine and two probably should be ten and one. I don't think they should have lost that Badger game. They just did not play well. Um, and then obviously, you know, losing on a neutral court in the uh, championship game of the holiday tournament they were into a very, very good Maryland team. So, um I think you're going to start seeing both of these teams trending up here, though, in the next couple of weeks. I think with the Badgers getting back to full strength, it's going to allow them to get their feet under them a little bit. And I think Marquette's just a, a pretty good, solid all-around team. So I expect I expect to see both of these teams in bracketology in the coming weeks. So that brings us to our last thing, the NBA. Um Bucks sitting at twenty four and five, still number one in the East. Had uh, an interesting week. Um, last Monday they had an eighteen game winning streak, and they lose to the Luka Doncic less Mavericks at home um, in a total trap game. They were looking ahead to Thursday night. Dallas came in, shot the lights out, snapped the Bucks win streak at eighteen. Bucks turned around a couple days later and. Whipped the Lakers at home. Um, final scorer, I think, was like 111-105. Game really wasn't as close as a score. Um, Giannis and Chris Middleton getting in foul trouble uh, late in that game kind of allowed the Lakers to, to claw back in and make it respectable. But Bucks really, really handled that whole game um, one of their one of their more impressive wins of the season. And then, uh, of course. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, they take care of the Knicks and the Pacers both, uh, which led up to the big meeting yesterday, Christmas Day at Philadelphia, um, what most people are predicting to be the Eastern Conference Finals. And unfortunately, the Bucks came out and laid an egg. Um, at, what, at one point, we're down, I believe, 29 points. Um. You know, and I I expected to see what I saw online and a little bit today with some of the talking head shows. Um, you know, uh, the Bucks aren't that good. We told you Philadelphia's better. They're the best team in the East. Embiid's great. Giannis has got all these flaws. Look, here's here's how I see it. George Hill came out the other day and said, 
basically, it's kind of bullshit that the Bucks had to go on the road for this game. They won 60 games last year. They had the best record in the NBA. They made the Eastern Conference Finals. Why are they on the road? Toronto got to play at home. Golden State got to play at home. Lakers and Clippers get to play at home. Denver gets to play at home. All the top the top teams from last season all played at home except the no respect bucks. When I heard that, that was a little bit of a red flag for me because what it told me was these guys are a little distracted and maybe they're not quite as all in on this game as you would hope they would be. Um so there's that. Philadelphia shot out of their minds from three. They set a franchise record for makes in a game. Um, the Bucks have five losses this year, and in two of those five losses against Boston and against Philadelphia, the team has set the franchise record for threes made. Um, the Bucks have the number one rated defense in basketball, so it's not a defensive problem. It's just on one night, a team got ridiculously hot, and there's not much you can do about that in today's NBA. When somebody makes 20 to 25 threes, I mean, you're talking 60 to 75 points just off threes. I mean, that's really, really difficult. Um, so you had that. Embiid played great. He did. Uh, he's been very inconsistent this year, but he stepped up. Um, was was knocking down threes. He ended up with like thirty one and thirteen. Played very good defense on Giannis. Um, Giannis played his worst game in three years. He missed twenty shots. Most of the time, Giannis doesn't take twenty shots. He took twenty seven yesterday. And in those twenty seven, seven of them were threes, and he was zero for seven from three. That's not good. But. What I'm seeing is, okay, so he took 22-pointers. He shot four free throws. Hmm. So you're telling me the best driver and and paint scorer in the NBA shot 22s and only got fouled twice? Mm, I'm not buying that. Um. And then on the other side, too, with the Bucks, they just didn't shoot well. They did not play well yesterday. Philadelphia played about as well as they can play. The Bucks played about as crappy as they can play. Giannis played the worst game he's played in three years. They had everything going against them. They're on the road. They lost by nine. Ten, whatever. Well, I mean... I I couldn't be less concerned about one game. Um, it, it, what 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 bothers me a little bit is the fact that of their five losses, three of them are to Boston, Miami, and Philadelphia, who, along with Toronto, who the Bucks did beat, are the other four best teams in the East. So right now, against the other top contenders, the Bucks are one and three. Um, that is a little concerning. Um, but it's December. We've still got three and a half months of regular season basketball to go. There's a lot of things that can happen. Guys can get hurt. Guys can get traded. Coaches can get fired. You never know. Uh, but to to have a referendum on this Bucks team or Philadelphia for that matter, um, after yesterday's game, I just I just think it's ridiculous. It's it's the same thing that I heard after the Buck Laker game from all the Laker defenders in the media after the Bucks kicked their ass. It's not it's just one game. It's not worth getting that excited about one way or the other. Um that's that's just kind of where I sit. Um the lack of respect that Giannis especially and the Bucks as a whole get um it sucks. You know, Giannis gets smacked in the face yesterday, no call, gets up complains and they call a technical which is always my favorite when a referee is so bad at his job, he not only screws up the first part of it, but he compounds his mistake by calling a technical foul on the guy that got screwed. That, that's always that's always a great great thing to see. Uh, people, you know, and then then you read an article in like in the Gazette that my good buddy John Barry writes about referees getting heckled. Well, there's a reason why they get heckled. Most of them are shitty at their job. Sorry, just facts. Watch the game. 
Um, right now, the Bucks are on pace for 70 wins. Um, they're first in, in the NBA in defensive rating. They're second in offensive rating. Um, I don't think the Bucks will win 70 games, but to, to even be in the mix for you know 65 to 70 wins, somewhere in that range, that's a pretty special season. Um, I went back and looked. There's only 13 teams in the history of the NBA that have ever won 67 or more games. That's pretty exclusive company. And of those 13, 10 of them made the finals and 9 of them won the title. The only one that made the finals and didn't win the title was the 2016 Warriors, the famous 73-win team that got beat by LeBron and the Cavs. So, you know, you get to that 67-win threshold, um, typically pretty good things are going to happen for you in the playoffs. Um, But, you know, I watched this team, and they remind me so much of kind of like the Spurs or the Patriots. Um, you know, Bledsoe has been out for the last week and a half or so. And again, you know, you factor, you factor in not having Bledsoe yesterday. Um, you didn't have him against the Lakers and you still won. You didn't have him against Indiana and you still won. Um, it's just kind of one of those teams where there's a lot of plug and play. Um, they, they, they got guys, um, that that f- they that fit the the skill that they wanted a certain position, you know. A lot of times you watch this team and you watch Giannis with the ball. A lot of times he's throwing what appear to be no look passes, and sometimes they are. But a lot of times he's just really throwing. He's not really throwing it to the player as much as he's throwing it to a spot on the floor. And uh, that's kind of how the Spurs ran their offense for years. Guys had certain spots where they needed to be. You see the Bucks shoot a lot of corner threes. Um, guys like Brooke Lopez, Kyle Korver, Wes Matthews, Chris Middleton. Those guys spend a lot of time camped out in the corner. And as a driver, you just know your guy's going to be there. Um, so it's it's a it's an easy pass to make. But you know, and I, I compare them to the Spurs and the Patriots in in hopes that they can be as successful as those teams. But just kind of the philosophy of the team building. Um, you have a very good coach with a very good system. It appears that the front office is in lockstep with that. Everybody's pulling in the same direction, and there's a certain kind of guy the Bucks are trying to get to not only play with Giannis but to fit their system. So um, I like that. These teams that just kind of you know go all willy-nilly, kind of like Philadelphia did, where they're just like, well, we're just going to get rid of uh, Jimmy Butler, a 20-plus point-per-game uh, small forward, and we're going to sign Al Horford, a uh, seven-foot-tall, 34-year-old dude who stands 25 feet from the hoop and shoots threes. Uh, okay, whatever. So, you know, that kind of that kind of wraps everything up with the Bucks up to this point. Um, things are still going good. Um, we got a couple of games coming up here this weekend. Let me try to pull this up on the old... Uh, the old app here. We've got uh, Bucks at Atlanta tomorrow on Friday, uh, home Saturday night against Orlando, and then on the road Monday night against Chicago. So definitely some winnable games here coming up in the next week or two. Uh, be nice to see the Bucks put together a nice little run. Maybe you know, maybe not a ten and zero streak, but you know, if you could be up in that nine and one, eight and two range, um, that'd be pretty nice. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Isaiah Thomas on the Wizards going up in the stands to confront a fan the other day. I just don't understand that. Like, are we? Is, is everybody really that sensitive? Like, you're you're on the basketball court and some dude in the stands calls you a bitch, and it hurts your feelings so badly you want to go up in the stands and tell him, "Don't please don't say that." I'm a man. That's disrespectful. Come on, man. Grow up. I mean, I understand you're five foot nothing, Isaiah, and you've got the one of the all-time Napoleon little short man complexes I've ever seen. But come on, man. Like, was that really worth it? You could because you, he got suspended two games. Was it really worth two game checks to go up and tell some guy in the stands that you were a man? I, you know, come on. Grow up. I just, I don't understand that. 
All right, anyway, uh, moving on here, just give you kind of an idea of where the standings sit. Uh, Eastern Conference, you got the Bucks first. Boston and Miami, four games behind the Bucks, sitting 2-3. Philly, four and a half back in the four spot. Indiana and Toronto are tied five and a half back. And then uh, you get a pretty significant drop-off with Brooklyn and Orlando wrapping up the seven and eight seeds. Out West, Lakers uh, still sitting in top 24-7. and seven. Denver twenty one and nine, Clippers twenty three and ten, Houston twenty one and ten, Dallas nineteen and ten, Utah eighteen and twelve. Those are your top six, and then shockingly, in the seventh seed at fifteen and fourteen, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think uh, when they made the Russell Westbrook trade, nobody would have predicted that this team would be in the playoff mix, and uh, Portland in the eighth spot, a disappointing fourteen and seventeen, but. Um, a lot of talent on that team. In the bottom of the West, everybody likes to say how much better the West is than the East. The bottom half of the West is terrible. It's terrible. Spurs, Kings, Suns, Grizzlies, T-Wolves, Pelicans, Golden State. Those teams suck. They're bad. I mean, the bottom half of the East is bad too, but it ain't no worse than the West, that's for certain. So that's kind of where everybody's sitting uh, at the Christmas mark here in the NBA, which is kind of the unofficial quote-unquote start of the season um, for for the casual fan as as football winds down here. So um, last thing I want to get into, um, with with the decade coming to a close, I always like to do this kind of stuff. I get a kick out of reading articles about it, um, but I wanted to kind of give it to you guys. uh, My all-decade teams for the NBA. Uh, I did a first team, a second team, and a third team. Um, criteria was three forward, three front court guys, two back court guys. You know, and I, I just kind of went through and I thought about, um, you know, who won titles, who won MVPs, who won finals MVPs, um, all NBA scoring titles, um, all star games. How successful was your team? All that. How long did you play in the decade? I kind of went through the whole thing, um, so I wanted to run run through my my three teams. I got a couple guys in honorable mention that I'll start with first. Um, honorable mention guys for me. I had Draymond Green. Um, I could. I just couldn't put him on a top three team. Uh, if he's not on Golden State, he's probably not even our honorable mention. But I'll give it to him out of respect. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, honorable mention. Nice first half of the of the decade with Portland. Gone to the Spurs. Kind of tailed off a little bit as he's got older. And, you know, really no playoff success, no team success to speak of. Um, this guy was a tough one to leave off the top three teams. Chris Paul, um, really good player. One of the, maybe the best pure point guard of his era. But just no playoff success. No playoff success, um, no individual accolades, never been to the finals, so I had to leave him off. Um, Damian Lillard, kind of the same way. Um, really good player, carrying a, a a small market Portland team, but other than last year getting to the conference finals, really not a lot of not a lot of postseason success. Paul George, again, um, really, really talented player, but you know, missed a full year with an injury. Um, came back uh, the year after, was kind of a shell of himself, forced himself out of two cities. Um, other than uh, some early in the decade success when he was on Indiana playing against the, the Miami Heat and LeBron and Dwayne Wade, not a lot of postseason success. Um, and then the last guy's honorable mention, I got the Gasol brothers. Uh, Powell won a title with the Lakers, but um, kind of his career kind of, he aged very quickly. And Marcus All, very good player, but I just couldn't put him ahead of some of the other big guys that I had here. So, um, third team. Well, should we? Well, yeah, we'll we'll do third team. We'll go we'll go third third second and first third team. My guards, Kobe and Clay Clay Thompson. Um, I just couldn't put Kobe higher. He won a title in the first year of the decade. By 2013, he was done. Missed a full season with the Achilles. Came back with a shell of himself. Uh, the teams he was on were terrible. Um, so I give him respect, but but 
I couldn't put him higher than third team. Clay Thompson, obviously the Warrior Dynasty. Um, also on third team, I've got my front court would be Dirk, Carmelo, Blake Griffin. Um, Dirk kind of speaks for himself. You know, won that title in 2011. Um, had a good, solid rest of the decade until about the last two years when he was kind of like, he actually looked like a mummy trying to run on a basketball court. Um, Carmelo Anthony and Blake Griffin, those are just two guys that I think people forget how good they were. You know, they're much maligned for for their deficiencies. Everybody likes to talk about what those guys can't do. Um, but, But let's be perfectly honest, the most exciting player other than LeBron James the first half of the decade was Blake Griffin. And he was really good. He was an all-NBA player. His teams were winning 50-plus games every year. And Carmelo Anthony was a scoring machine. I don't like his game, um, It, but he was a scoring machine. It's not his fault that James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, is the most dysfunctional owner in sports and couldn't put anybody around him. I can't blame Carmelo for that. Um, so, yeah, Kobe, Clay, Dirk, Carmelo, and Griffin, that's my third team. Second team. I got Westbrook, Wade, Duncan, Giannis, Anthony Davis. Um, Giannis is maybe a little bit of a stretch. Um, You know, really the last four years is when he's been elite, but um, winning an MVP, uh, there's only been like five MVPs this decade. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave him off. Um, Duncan, obviously, you know, just the guy's a legend. Um, won a title, went to two finals, even until his last season a couple of years ago, was a major, major factor on both ends of the floor. So much respect to him. Same thing with Dwayne Wade. Two titles, four finals in the decade. Um, his play dropped off as he got older, but even last year at age 36 in his last year, still a pretty effective NBA player. And uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, just statistically, the guy's been pretty unbelievable, averaging a triple-double. Um, having to deal with the fact that Durant split on him in the middle of the decade. Um, I had to give him props for that. So brings me to first team, which was pretty easy. Uh, four of the five spots were, were kind of no-brainers. Um, my guards are Curry and Harden, and the front court, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. Um, I struggled a little bit with Kawhi Leonard being first team. Uh, he has won two finals and two finals MVPs, although the first one was, you know, he was on a team surrounded by Hall of Famers. So, I, you know, he was the fourth best guy on that team. Uh, but his run that he made last year was was uh, pretty historic. And, and frankly, I just couldn't really find another forward to put ahead of him. I couldn't put Giannis or Anthony Davis up there. Um, just not enough postseason success for either. And uh, I, I just couldn't put Duncan ahead of him. Uh, with the fact that Duncan didn't play the whole uh, whole decade. So, obviously, Curry, Harden, LeBron, and KD, very easy. Um, all four of those guys have won MVPs this year, or this decade. Curry's won multiple. LeBron's won multiple. Um, all of them but Harden have won titles. Um, all of them have won multiple titles. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I sit. Um Curry, Harden, LeBron, KD, Kawhi. I don't. I don't know that anybody can really argue with that. So, if you uh, if you do want to argue, if you do have some other thoughts, please feel free to uh, tweet tweet at me. Let me know. Let me know if you think I'm crazy for having Kobe on third team. Let me know if you think I'm crazy for having him on any team. Um, I, I we always love to get some feedback from you guys, and uh, you know, kind of. Kind of at least gauges us to let us know who's listening and, and what kind of things you like. So um, it's always always fun to hear. So that about wraps it up. I hope you love the uh, the solo version once again of the intentional foul. Like I said, hopefully Josh is back next week so we can wrap up the regular season for the NFL. Uh, talk a little bit about some of these uh, college bowl games that are going on this weekend. I didn't get into that because, frankly, I just don't care. That's kind of Goldberg's thing more than mine. Um, so we'll talk about that. We'll still have plenty of stuff to deal with in the NBA and college basketball, maybe a little bit of Brewer news, who knows. Um, but, uh, yeah, and like I said, I hope everybody had a great, great Christmas, great holiday. 
Hit me up at Dan Saunders 104. He is at Josh Goldberg on Twitter. You can hit us up at Facebook as well. And download the podcast anywhere you can get podcasts. iTunes is probably the easiest. I think everybody has that. If not, search around, Google it, figure it out. Don't be a dumbass. Get it done. All right, folks, we appreciate it. We will talk to you next week. Go Bucks.